Hello, friends. How are you? How are you getting on? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast. And I want to wish you a very happy, healthy and harmonious 2023. And what better way to mark the new year than to talk to a health life coach today. So I'm absolutely chuffed and delighted and over the moon and absolutely buzzing to be talking to the absolute well-being master, the well-being queen herself has taken time over a busy, hectic schedule of mending and healing and meditating and yoga and sea dipping and hiking and all the good stuff that she does to come on to our brother's podcast and shine a bit of light on the rest of us. So Lisa Doolan, who's a digital creator, a yogi, a corporate corporate wellness facilitator, and so much more. So Lisa <laughs> Doolan, what's the crack? Uh, thank you very much, Pat. <laughs> 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 when I introduce you, you're going to go, <laughs> Sorry, both. <laughs> no, we had a bit of trouble there kicking off. But <laughs> perfectionism. We're trying I, to get the perfect intro and uh, <laughs> perfectionism is the killer of dreams. I just said to Colin, just say, how are you? <laughs> just say, all right, sorry, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And um, Thank you so much for having me on. And we're, each time I come, there's extra books, there's an extra headphone. We've, we're more advanced each we, week I, or yeah. each month. So the it's great to see. The podcast is moving up in the world. So we have, I'm using all my books as... <laughs> Stands for the for, <laughs> for the microphones. I'm using a dry robe on my glass table to stop the uh, vibrations of the sound. So it's a soundproofing uh, instrument. And uh, we also I, have a new headphone. Yeah, and I nearly burnt the house down with sage. It smells <laughs> like weed. It smells like weed. <laughs> it's not. It's he's, he's dragging that. So yeah, and uh, so yeah, we look at the main thing is that we're making content and we're putting it out there, <laughs> and perfectionism is where you just will prevent you from doing that stuff. So feck it, just we're, this is like the the pound shop uh, well being podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> we have sparkling water. We have sparkling water. Yeah, 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 the good stuff, posh. the good sparkly water. It's got very posh. Um, so Lisa, how are you? I am great. Thank you so much to have me on. To to mark my two years sober. Woo-hoo! So uh really do appreciate it. And been so many people reaching out to me and yeah, I guess this is the first day back now after Christmas and yeah, I'm just feeling good, feeling fresh and I'm ready to hit this new year strong. So thank you again for having me on. How is things with you just fresh off the plane from Thailand? <laughs> Like, do you know what? The la- I got that like anti-holiday buzz, you know, when you come home and like I was still on backpacker buzz. Like I was going over to like Tesco with my sandals, with my elephant pants on, with like a, a daffodil in my ear and being like, namaste, you know, still <laughs> still floating. I was like, why, why is everyone so sad? Life's so good. Why is everyone beeping horns in the traffic? Um but yes, quickly got smashed that bubble and uh, <laughs> <laughs> back to the suffering. But no, uh, it was absolutely amazing. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, just made me grateful to be sober, you know, to be able to go and do them things. And, you know, before I got sober, I remember just always being riddled with fear, like afraid to like go down the road to the shop, like near the end of my kind of drinking buzz you know I was like I was using drink to escape fear but then the next day I'd wake up and that fear and anxiety was just amplified you know like everything that drink was doing for me it just stopped working you know I was like like before I, I remember going down and taking my first drink at a house party and I remember walking into this house party and them old feelings came where I just felt inadequate to everyone else like I walk into that room and everyone looked like a hundred percent, but I was only eighty percent compared to everyone in there, you know. And then I take this. Someone handed me like a glass of whiskey, and I remember going, "Jeez, I shouldn't take that." And you know, but the, that people pleasing me, that wanted approval of everyone there, was like, "Fuck it, I'll take it," and just shot it back. And I remember going, "Jeez, that was disgusting," and coughing, and nearly getting sick. 
And then I remember taking my second shot. Someone handed me a second one. I was like, fuck it down the hatch. And I then it hit me. I you in shots of whiskey. Shots of Some fucking bogey one anyway. I was like Jamson. Yeah, I think it was one of the, the lads having I think we were only about 14. And the mom, was, the mom was away for the weekend. And uh, it was like, that. I remember mom used to go down to Wexford. Oh, and I remember, I remember saying that, you know, you know, like Lisa and Kev used to have <laughs> mad sessions in your house when you went down to Wexford. She goes, no, I didn't mind. She goes, I used to come home, the house was spotless. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, how, to, how to hide the evidence. But uh, yeah, and I remember going to this house party, and I remember taking the second shot of whiskey, and just that feeling of feeling all right, feeling okay, feeling like the like top man, the confidence, you know, just this Superman's cape, and just feeling amazing. Like you know what I mean when I took that drink and. And then I realised, like, everything I thought I needed, oh, if I just get a girlfriend, if I just get a job, if I just get a car, if I just get this promotion or whatever it was, like, alcohol met every single need, you know, that I needed. Any fulfilment, any goal, any aspiration that I needed. When I took that drink, drink, drink just answered everything, you know, and I was lacking in my life. And it was just a magical potion that all I had to do was just, you know, oh, like, drink something and I feel incredible you know and um, but it was that thing you know that the poison the, the the medicine that makes me sicker you know and uh, then uh, like when it stopped working and it just started setting amplifying that fear and that anxiety you know and just feeling feeling awful again like you know and then it just stopped working for me and I was I was lucky that I was kind of taken under the wing and brought into sobriety and you know, today being able to go traveling and, and backpacking around the world and, you know, not have that fear, not have that anxiety that I had before that I used to carry around with me everywhere. You know, like I still feel fear, I still fear, feel anxiety, but it doesn't impact me today. It doesn't impact my decisions. It doesn't stop me from going, geez, what if we travel or what if something bad happens or what if this happens or what if that happens? And it's all just irrational fears and to feel the fear and do it anyway but you being like two years sober for you tell us like the biggest difference between your couple of months leading up to your last drink how you're feeling and what you think is the biggest difference now today i guess for me it, i guess it was very different and i think that like my problem i wasn't an alcoholic i guess i didn't really have an issue with drink like i've often gone to weddings and not drank I'd often gone on holidays. When I remember going to all-inclusive holidays with dad and not drinking. Like, it, drink for me, it wasn't really, like, it, I wasn't, like, I guess that's how, like, to maybe to see some people that might have, like, say, an alcoholic pro. And I always notice this because um, in recovery, I guess, you get a sponsor. And I always re remember, say, my specific sponsor and you, like, if I always ask, she's ever got a craving for alcohol? And they always say no. And... I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, how do they never get a craving? Because I do. Like, not all the time, but, like, I would coming up to, like, Christmas or holidays, I'd still get, like, cravings for it. And then when I thought about it, I guess maybe the thing that was causing me pain wasn't actually the alcohol itself. So I guess I didn't have that, like, really painful, traumatic to, to alcohol because... Alcohol wasn't really my issue. My issue was more relationships. Like I had was had more just had had like my life within work within family was always kind of improving and growing. But within relationships, it was just romantic relationships. It was always dramatic. Like it was, I was always never happy. It never really settled. It never really functioned as well because. Um, I'd usually go for someone that was emotionally un unavailable and had probably addiction problems themselves. So I guess for me, it wasn't the alcohol. But again, this is where I'm here to help people. Like, again, I feel like that there's a lot of men or women out there in the world that actually, like, you can put your addiction to, like, say, just a substance like alcohol. But, like, from obviously jumping on this this road and this street and I can see that like people can just let go of the alcohol turn to food let go of the food turn to relationships let go of the relationships even turn it to working mm -hmm. so I mean it's I just believe that it's not actually the substance I just believe that it's using anything 
to to actually avoid ourselves and avoid having to sit and with ourselves. So for me, obviously, if I was drinking, maybe say every six weeks, I could go on a big night out. I could be out until say maybe two in the morning, up to four in the morning. And look, maybe every now and again on a Friday night, I could have two or three drinks. But it was a fat, it was leading into these dysfunctional relationships. And it was also leading into me just letting myself off the hook because we all know, you know, if you're hungover and we'll make bad decisions, we'll make bad choices, we're not holding ourselves accountable. And I just, I remember when I was around leading up to the time before I gave it up, I remember again, just coming out of a kind of an on-off relationship that had been for around two or three years. And the relationship was an absolute, like kind of a shit show, if I can be honest. And I even remember, I met my friend recently that I hadn't seen in a couple of years and we went for a walk in the Tree Rock Mountain there and I was talking to her and it just really brought me back because in the past when I'd be meeting up with my friends, it would always just be about the drama and the chaos and the stuff that had been going on in my romantic relationships. It was never about growth of my business or though I was always studying, it was ne- It was always the, my main focus in my mind was the trauma that was going on within my relationships and I guess just elaborate a bit on the codependency like what is codependency and how can it become addictive and be classed as an addiction well basically you're just using like it's like people it's kind of like a love addiction you're you're using like people outside of yourselves to to make yourself to make yourself whole and full and you're kind of obsessed with other people. So you're obsessed with trying to change, fix, help other people because that will make you feel better. A lot of times with codependents, they're usually like the older children in the family because they've been brought up from a young age looking after everybody else. And I always remember like at a funeral, if you hear an older woman, like like she's not not even that old, maybe in their 40s or 50s and at their eulogy, they're saying, oh, they just did so much for everybody else and never done anything for themselves. And that's your kind of typical kind of codependent. It's a person who, like, you can end up in hospital. People have ended up dead. So, like, like, trying to help everyone at the expense of your own mental health and well-being, like... Yeah, it's like your self-management is so off that you have this sense of fulfillment for doing things for other people. But you, you, like, you tend to go for say, a, relate, a romantic relationship with someone that could be, like, riddled with red flags or very kind of damaged or broken, if, if, if that's the right term. And you, at your own expense, you try and fix and mend this person because it's what you're used to from, say, a child, that, like, love and a normal relationship is subjective. Like, what what your normality is and what your a belief of a normal functioning relationship is completely based on the, on your, I suppose, how you viewed your parents' relationship. And if you grew up and that was, I suppose, dysfunctional, that's the type of love that you'd crave. That's your normality, you know. You'd crave a dysfunctional, kind of codependent relationship because it's what you viewed as a kid. Yeah, like, I definitely feel that was a part of it. Like, I guess my older brother and my dad... Um, like that would have been how I'd that like you're you're learning a learned behavior and yeah. I guess our family there was like seven children like our mom and dad were both like functioning at their best but I guess I probably learned picked up bad traits back then and like when I hit around say around thirty five I kind of just stopped and I just like you said with alcohol. Like the alcohol just wasn't working for you anymore. It was like that with the relationships. Like I just, like something in me just said, what? Like at the end of the day, I'd had a few relationships at this stage and all of them, it was the same pattern, the same thing. So it clearly wasn't the person. Like there was clearly something within me and codependent people can be generally fairly controlling people and they'll find somebody who's fairly out of control. But again, from sponsoring other girls, like I help girls now and seeing that it doesn't only have to be that they go, my pattern was I would have probably tended to go to somebody that had like addiction issues, but I have sponsored different people and obviously heard different people sharing in recovery where they could actually go for people who are in romantic relationships themselves. Because if they're already in a committed, loving relationship, 
they're not going to be emotionally available to have a relationship with them. So it actually comes in lots of different forms. And I guess the longer I'm staying in it and the more I'm learning about it, it it doesn't matter whether you're with an addict or whether you're chasing somebody that's whatever way they're unavailable. Mm. That's going to feel comfortable for you because you're you're not able to to connect fully to loving and healthy relationships because you've never had that. But is it a low self-esteem thing then that you don't think you're worthy of someone's uh, attention or approval or affection? In my honest opinion, I don't even think that it's that as fully. But I mean, if you have parents who are not aware of how they, how, how to show love, and if you have parents that aren't like, aren't like able to connect with you in a healthy and loving way like your way of feeling love is like I remember being as a child the oldest girl I thought well oh Jesus when I do a lot of things around the house I'll get love I'll get and and people I got appreciated so like that was for me that was that was actually built into me of how how I actually thought that what I need to do Mm. so obviously if I met someone who was doing loads for me it would have probably empowered me yeah yeah because I well what this wasn't what I was used to this wasn't normal for me so I guess I wouldn't even say obviously I did suffer when I was younger with like low self-esteem I've been working on that for years but I guess I would have thought it was that but from coaching and sponsoring more and more people I'm realizing it's like at the end of the day, obviously our dad suffered from addiction issues. Um, he was in the recovery as well. And our mom would have had a tendency to be more kind of a codependent. And look, I believe everyone at different stages feeds into different addictions. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's a way of coping. Yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Who could put their hand on their heart and say, there's never been so, a habit that mm. they've picked up. And so I guess like for me, it was it was just getting into that and I remember like if I can honestly go back I I remember I always wanted to date someone that was good looking and could beat up my older brother yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lisa liked him tall dark and damaged well, I must be careful in case yeah. there could be next with me yeah. <laughs> Le- Lisa used to go to the speed dating up in John of Gods to get a nice man <laughs> so but like that so I had that trait yeah. built into me from and look I am not perfect you it know was. what I mean and I'm far from perfect but I had that trait built yeah. into me from a young age so automatically that yeah that might have worked for me when I was 15 or 16 yeah. and they never beat up my brother by the way so but then that wasn't working for me as I got older but yeah. but we're wired so we have faulty wiring and we mm. have wiring put in place to that is going to stick with us and I am here to tell people and I know my life mission is to actually teach people that we can change, we can grow. And what we need to do is we need to become aware of it. And I guess it's from that awareness and stepping off the pity pot of it's their fault. Oh my God. Because at the end of the day, we have a learned behavior. And I was from a family of seven children and I seem to be the main one who particularly picked up this kind of uh, dysfunction where Colin was more alcoholic and maybe, but I'm saying to you today is that there is a way out and like, it's a lot more simpler than it, it, it actually you, you think. And even just going for that walk with my friend on the mountain and realizing that, you know what, like saying to her, like life actually doesn't have to be like this. Like my life at the moment is not full of drama. My life at the moment is not full of stress and worry. Like my life at the moment is full of peace, is full of service. Like I'm helping more people than I ever have in work. I'm growing, I'm glowing. Like where in the past, yeah, my life was moving forward on a scale of probably two to three. And since I've made all the changes, my life is pushing up to an eight or a nine. But I had to give up alcohol and all the partying and and do the hard work mm. to actually make them changes. Yeah. It's yeah, it's mad. Like and just you're saying there about the relationship stuff and the, and the codependency stuff. And I, I I used to be like that as well. Like I didn't I didn't ignore the red flags. I used to paint them green, like you know. And uh, and I get it, that guy. Sorry, no, Louise Hay uh, talks about it, you know, if, if you don't get the three A's as a kid, uh, you know, if you don't get the uh, sufficient attention or affection or approval, 
you grow up as an adult trying to overcompensate for these things, like, you know, and like that, as a kid, I remember if I'm the fastest in the playground or if I scored the most goals or I needed to be the best at something just to be equal because that feeling again, feeling less than. I'm not saying that was because of my upbringing or anything like that, you know, it could have been an innate uh, feeling that I just had, you know, but I definitely as an adult getting that that need for approval or that need for acceptance of people, you know, that avid people pleaser in me like you know and needing to do that work on myself and especially in relationships you know if you don't see your own value your own self-worth you tend to like date people that don't see your value or your worth you know and you think that's all you're worthy of so you're with someone that's emotionally unavailable or you're with someone that could have toxic traits or whatever but at the same time that's all you're used to so you you'll you'll like you'll you'll crave that and try and fix that person but for you around codependency what was the was it like if you could fix this person that would make you happy? Like, or is it that you're so focused on this other person that's taking the light off you and it's stopping you from looking at your stuff and distracting you? Because for me, that's what alcohol or any drug addiction is essentially. It's that it's preventing me from looking or feeling my feelings. So if I just take this substance or a drug or engage in this in it's this toxic behavior, it takes me away from myself. It's like numbing me or and medicating me from actually feeling my feelings or looking at my life. Like. Yeah, like I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. And I could honestly tell you that I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. But I just, it was like, like you said with the drink, it was like, I just couldn't, I didn't want to date anymore. I didn't want to drink anymore. It was just, I. it was like by doing any of that stuff would make me depressed, would make me just not like suicidal, but I just before I got a buzz from it and it was like there'd been just so much chaos in that section of my life that I just could not do it anymore and I never realized like through all the stuff that I'd gone through in relationships I never realized that um I never realized that like I never thought I didn't matter but I just never thought of myself and I think in one way it actually served me as in I obviously got through the death of my partner and I remember that first year I raised 12,000 euro for charity. I moved house. I went on holidays. I was, I would do my fastest time in a half marathon and a 5k and it was all because I just couldn't feel. Yeah, but like, like I, I didn't think that like my, I was trying to help everyone else around me yeah. because, and then because I was, a little bit of me was obsessed with what people thought. I looked, I always, I made sure I looked so well yeah. because I want, didn't want people to think that I wasn't coping and I wasn't yeah. doing well. So it's kind of such a crazy way of thinking. And you know what? I didn't even know there was a such thing called codependency. Like I actually first kind of got into the recovery side of it. And I remember I did go to a couple of um, AA meetings, even though I knew I was an alcoholic, but I just needed to change. Mm. And it was only from coming down this road and I say this to everyone even if you drink every six weeks if you drink every second week it takes you three months for your brain to even start back functioning properly that that's my belief and from then I remember meeting someone and they told me about codependency and I was like oh my god so it's basically like a recovery group Mm. but it's for uh, your only desire is to have healthy and fulfilling relationships so it's just amazing that there is that. And it's only really new. Like it's only developed, I think, in 1984. So it's fairly new to the, the, the world. But in my honest opinion is that we're all recovering from something. Be it like if you're addicted to drink, to drugs, to collecting stamps, to, to fig rolls, you know, whatever the addiction is, it, it's just a symptom. Like for me, like when my alcoholism, was it down to like childhood trauma? Was it down to depression? Was it down to anxiety? Was it down to ADHD? You know, was it down to just a learned habit, a coping mechanism? You know, it's like like the the drink or the drugs is usually the solution. You know, it's usually a lot deeper than that. You know, even with codependency and and that's what I learned is that like it doesn't matter what the weapon is, but the it's all about the solution for me today. Is that if there is an issue. You know, rather than and overanalyzing the problem, it's like if the Titanic is going down, you're not going to be sitting there analyzing oh, how did this happen, or is it because of my childhood, or is it because someone robbed me teddy bear when I was in second class? You know, 
usually it's about getting onto the lifeboat and then when you get to safe ground, then go back and do your analysation and see what it was. If it's part of your recovery, but for me as well, it's to try not to spend too much time glancing in the past, you know what I mean? To try and take from that what I can, you know, uncover, discover, discard. And that's that's massive for me as well, to look back in the past, to, for, forgive, to forgive my past and forgive the people in my past. And for me to, you know, forgive myself as well. And for me, look, when I first got sober, if you told me about my childhood, I told, I'll tell you I had a really difficult childhood, a really hard childhood. But if you to ask me today about my childhood, I tell you I had a... I had a great childhood. I had a really good childhood because I found through going through the 12 steps and going through recovery that I have this compassion and I suppose love for the past and the people in my past and realising that the people in my past that did harm me or hurt me, you know, um, emotionally, you know, I, I thankfully it was never like sexually or physically abused. I got, I got a few digs off the hard growing up because it was a little shit, but... Other than that, you know, just emo- people in my life that were so emotionally unavailable or suffering with their own demons and their own struggles and being able to kind of, you know, forgive them for for them just going through their own struggles and realising that hurt people hurt people, but at the same time, hurt people hurt people until they take responsibility for hurting people. Well, science now has proven that we can't actually look back <coughs> and know clearly. We all have different opinions. So, I mean, our memory to what actually happened, to what actually happened, isn't always generally correct. So what I found was, I never thought about the past. I couldn't have remembered back from 14 years and before that. Like, I didn't think it was good or bad. I just couldn't remember. And I'd done so much work on having a positive mindset, Seth, and when I was around 20, that everything was positive and great and wonderful, but yet there was just crazy dysfunction going on in my life. So for me, I I had to, it was there. But for me, what I did with the steps was I went back and I released it. I allowed myself to see things differently. So like in the past, I, I, like it was like as if I had a false shield up about the past. But then, and but, I, but deep down, if I was really honest, there was shit that had come up in counselling, like when I dealt with, I had, had an eating disorder in my early 20s, that had kind of come to the surface, but I still had a lot of kind of resentments against it because I'd never actually properly looked at it. But when I went back and actually seen the situation, there was a situation when I was a child, and I guess I'd always blamed that on on what had happened to me when I was older. And I guess when I actually went back and looked back at it, it was really kind of silly, as in the the child itself was probably another six months older than me. We were probably around five or six at the time. Mm. So, I mean, it wasn't like a big, dirty, like crazy thing that had happened. But I guess, and I think it, it has got a bit to do with the Catholic Church, whether there's shame around any type of... You know, like, like again, it's always like you're meant to have sex when you're married and there shouldn't be any type of, like, any type of that kind of situation. I think there'd been a game that we'd played back then and I remember I was just, like, knew that it shouldn't have happened and it always felt like a bit kind of traumatised by it, even though it wasn't a really big deal. And I guess I'd never looked at it. I was always afraid to see it. And But in, in the back of my mind when I was asking myself, well, why was I having these dysfunctional relationships? A part of me was putting it down to that. Mm. But then actually when I went back and looked at it, like I was around five or six. The child was around five or six. So, I mean, like it was nothing. Like it was just... Now, again, obviously there's people out there that have had much worse situations happen to them when they're younger. But again, I would have a sensitive mind. And I think once we are the type of people that we have a sensitivity... I think a sensitivity in its raw, in its in its negative form is addiction and obsession. But I think if you're a sensitive person, so I would have held that trauma as being a massive trauma. But when I went back to it and actually properly looked at it through the steps and obviously with someone in recovery who I trusted and who I felt comfortable with, I just I had a massive like kind of aha moment. And I actually got a bit upset to think that I had spent so much of my life like blaming a particular situation that was so fleeting Mm -hmm. you know that was so simple that was so fragile and again 
for anyone that has listened to this that has obviously had a lot more worse things happen to them like please like that don't um like obviously go and speak to somebody and this is just my particular story so my particular story was just two children playing and I guess going back and being able to forgive the situation and see it for what it was it like it cleaned me from the inside well so like when you were able to kind of so you were carrying this thing and it was wrapped around with a lot of shame from your perspective but when you shared it with someone else that kind of changed your perspective when I looked at it because I think in the past I was always afraid to look at it and when I looked at it I was like hold on a minute um it was just a child on the road they were like a year older than me and when I realized okay well it couldn't have been any type of like abuse really because Mm. at the end of the day it was two children you know what I mean so I mean like they didn't know what they were doing I didn't like know what I was doing so I mean no one knew whether it was right or wrong and I guess I was able to just when I shared it with another person and they were like oh yeah 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 well that (laughs) And I just, it, it was like, it just blew my mind. And to be honest, I was a bit upset afterwards because I felt, how have I wasted so many years thinking that like some trauma had happened to me when actually yeah. it was just... It's mad though, isn't yeah. it? It's like when you can be open and vulnerable to someone and like share this stuff about yourself and realise, well, I'm not the, I'm not, it lightens the load. Like I'm not the piece of shit at all. I was like, I remember that. You know, the, I remember the first time doing therapy and it was like me going into therapy trying to convince the therapist that I'm just no good piece of shit. And the therapist was trying to convince me, no, you're not, you're you're actually, gra- you're, you're a nice lad, you're sound, you're a good person. Yeah. And we'd have this back and forth, how I'm trying to convince him that I'm not, <clears throat> and he's trying to convince me that I am. And at the end of the session, we'd meet in the middle and say, do you know what, I'm all right, okay, well, I'll settle for that. And then as time goes on, you know, and getting more open, and getting more honest and then realising, hold on, I'm not I'm not the kind of the piece of crap we thought I was my whole life, like, you know. And yeah. I remember it used to be this lady that used to go to my local AA meeting, you know, and she'd always say, I I, I used to feel like junk my whole life, but then I realised God doesn't make junk, you know. Oh, and, I love that. Yeah, and, and, and but that's the thing, we from our in our own heads and our own perceptions, we believe that we we just, we are not we're not good enough or we're unworthy. I had this terrible perception of because this had happened, yeah. obviously from a kid, obviously my mind was like, Okay, this shouldn't have happened and obviously our parents are so religious, um nanny and granddad and I think from around that point, something caught in me that, and again, I, there's another really frightening point. When I was around fourth or fifth class, my mom had just had twin babies. And I remember going into one school, into school one day and I realised I was after getting nits. And again, boom, that stuck something in my subconscious that I wasn't good enough and, mm. and that I was dirty. And it was from them to, and when I went back and did the steps, it was them to simple simple things that had caused me then to have kind of this ball of not worthy and not good enough in my chest and when I went back and done the steps and seen that and it like it was if I was cleaned out it just cleared it out and I realized like what you said like I am good enough and like that was okay that what happened and it was like what the scientist said of that I was able to go back look at it, see it for what it was. And it was like it just cleaned out my soul. Mm. Now, I am not saying that there's probably people could be listening to that that have had a hell of a lot worse stuff happen to them. And I'm not trying to say to to little mind that at all. But I guess I just needed to share my story because it can be as simple as that. Yeah. So so like, so you'd suggest for anyone that's like, say, the they're carrying something from their childhood or from the past and it's getting quite heavy or that they they feel a lot of shame around it to find someone that they can be open and honest with and be I didn't realize I was carrying that like this is the mad thing and like I, I often there's a lot of coaches I coach obviously and I always know that we're wired to a time back usually between when we're around four to around 15 or 16 like we'll carry on patterns of wiring from then. So it's like you need to figure out where it's come from. And when you can figure it out and face it, you can let it go. But obviously, I done it in a steps format, which is is much better because 
you spend your first kind of either three three weeks or three steps could be three months um you're building up your conscious contact with your higher power but again when I do it with people through my coaching I'm building up their self-care over the three weeks Mm -hmm. or three months whatever whatever it takes like you never drop into doing that kind of healing work unless people are at a certain level like if I have clients coming to me um obviously I have clients that I work through myself and then I also have girls that I sponsor but um when I have clients coming to me like if they're if everyone in their life is at a 10 and they're, they're only at a one or two we do a wellness wheel our first couple of weeks I don't know I would not dare to take them people or or even suggest to start doing forgiveness or healing work then because they wouldn't be able for it yeah. like if you're if you're emotionally and spiritually and completely like your your cup is not full you're not ready to to go back and do that work because it could it could it could send you into a bit of a burnout, you know what I mean, or make you feel a bit worse. But like even with the steps, the steps will pull people through steps one, two, and three, which is admitting that you're powerless. Two, you're handing it over, and three, you're asking a higher power to come in and help you. So you've got these steps in place before you go into mm-hmm. you're looking back at your past. So it's yeah. it's in a process. So with the coaching and with the steps. I'd be suggesting to people, yeah, but making sure that you're not, you want to be going back there when you're at least out of five, if place. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. so that you don't want to, like, I mean, some people, and a lot of people, what I found with helping people is that there's a lot of people that just can't push themselves through that pain. And it was, it, don't get me wrong, like, I've done my, I've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of forgiveness and recovery work over the last few years. And, Every time for a week or two afterwards, you feel a bit shitty. You mm. feel a bit run down. You feel a bit tired, but but you feel free. Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. What would be your? I know you've done you've done the steps now a couple of times, and what like would you say? Like, do you feel afterwards? Like, would you feel a bit raw afterwards? Or yeah, look, I remember the first time doing uh, doing like. Especially, essentially a fourth and fifth step for anyone that's like doesn't know about the 12 step program fourth and fifth step is you know you're uh, making a, a search and a fear, fearless moral inventory and, and what that is essentially is that you know when through my addiction you know whatever kind of things I've done and, and accumulated you know or things from the past or whatever I'm, I'm, I'm people I could have harmed maybe in my drinking or even in sobriety that I'm I'm writing down and I'm sharing this with a with a with another person and essentially like I was carrying so many things I thought I thought was was, was um evidence that I'm a no good piece of shit. You know what I mean? Through blackouts or through drinking and my behaviour when I drank and why I drank and letting people down and being selfish and things like this and you know, then when I got sober I was you know, when I seen this, you know, fourth and fifth step and being like, geez, the thoughts of having to tell someone these things that, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring to the grave with me that I don't ever want to tell anyone. And then this be me being like this insecure people pleaser that I always wanted people to see the best version of me. I was always this actor, you know, the light in the room that was happy, go lucky and funny and charming. And that was just an act. You know, I was persona because I didn't want people to see the real me. And when I got a sponsor and someone that I really liked and adored and looked up to and thought he was great and... I remember, you know, thinking to myself, oh, if I do a fourth and fifth step with this this sponsor, you know, he's not going to like me anymore if he gets another real column, you know. And I remember going up to do this fourth and fifth step and just being riddled with fear and anxiety, you know, because I knew that if he gets another real me, uh, you know, he'll abandon me, reject me, he'll run a million miles, you know, because that's usually what happens, you know. And this was the fucked up belief that I had about myself from childhood, that anyone that comes into my life, that I love tends to leave, you know what I mean, because of me, you know, and, and usually kids, when they go through that uh, trauma, they'll internalise everything, they blame themselves, they think everything that ha- happens wrong in their life is their fault, you know. So we still had this thing going on, and I remember sitting down, you know, and being open and honest, you know, and, and sharing with this man, you know, everything i ever done in my life, you know, right, wrong and indifferent. And halfway through, I remember I'm standing up, and I thought to myself, oh, I was going to ask me to leave, and all he said, do you, want another, do you want another cup of coffee? And I was like, yeah, go on. 
Uh-huh. Made another cup of coffee and we sat down and I finished off this fourth and fifth step, you know, and, he, and after it, you know, he just said, look, man, I've done half of them things myself, you know, there's absolutely no reason for you to give yourself such a hard time. And I remember just this feeling of, you know, it was like when I took my first drink, that second uh, glass of whiskey, when I just felt, well, I felt fulfilled. I felt like the hole in my soul felt full. I just felt enough, you know. And after I fil- finished this fifth step, you know, and after I told this man, I was open, I was honest, I was vulnerable. And he still gave me his love. He still gave me his approval. And, you know, he was still there for me. And I just remember, well, you know, that ice that I had in my heart, just melted and, and it, it completely changed my perspective on who I was as a person because my whole life I thought I was a no good piece of shit you know and I, I was open and honest with this man you know and he said look you're alright you know we don't have them things myself you know and you know and just getting that 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 sense of like approval and acceptance I remember leaving his house just feeling so light and just feeling okay in myself and it was for the, and you know it was all these things that I shared with another human that I thought I'd never share with anyone, you know what I mean? And 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 a lot of time when we have all this stuff buried down, you know, we we can convince ourselves that uh, you know we're, we're bad people because of whatever we've done in the past, you know, and and then just being able to share it with someone else. And it could be it could be like it could be a therapist or a counselor, it could be a family someone in the family, it could be a friend, it could be a twelve step sponsor. But I think there's great power in being able to kind of sh- like out being open and honest and talk to someone about what's going on like you know what I mean and just like and I, I think that's the beauty about even with therapy you know is that you know you have this stranger that you can be open and honest with that you're not worried about you know judgment you're not worried about freaking them out you're not worried about what they'll think because you know if you try and tell a family member you say if you're struggling with your mental health and you tell a family member you don't want to worry them you know, if you're you're feeling insecure, you don't want to tell one the lies because in case they might slag you, you know, or you tell your boss you're not feeling great, you, just, you don't want that to jeopardize your job. You know, you have all these fears that would prevent you from being totally honest and totally vulnerable. But I think when you can talk to, say, a therapist, for example, and just that stranger, that you can be open and honest and just throw it all out there, you know, whatever it is that's bothering you or you're carrying or just being open and honest about who you are as a person, and, you know, being able to walk away and leave that there without having to worry about judgment, without worrying about what the other person thinks. And there's great healing in that because I think when we can share something that's going on in our mind, it takes the power out of it. And it's the same with journaling. We can have a perspective of something in our mind and we start to write it all down. And it just, oh, yeah, when I look at it that way, that makes a completely different, um, completely different perspective. So I think it's great to have people around us for that extra bit of support that we can be open and honest and vulnerable with. But not only that, like for anyone at the moment who might be listening to this that does struggle with dysfunctional relationships, like <clears throat> I remember being in, in one and in like in a relationship for a good few years and there'd be absolute chaos going on around me and I could be listening to The Secret and pretending that everything was kind of rosy and everything was fine when in when honestly in the background it wasn't really and you'll usually tend to find friends and speak to friends who will let you know like what Colin was saying about the drinking so for instance if he's binge drinking and snorting coke and doing lots of shots he's going to obviously be hanging around with friends who are doing the same and then they're going to be telling him, yeah, that's okay. That's normal. Sure, we're all like that. If we're struggling to get out of bed. We're not going to work. That's very normal. And I found that it was the same. So I was tending to put myself around people at the time that were telling me that the chaos and the drama was normal. And I'm here to tell you that it's not normal. Like if you're constantly ringing your friends and <clears throat> on the phone to friends and people and it just constantly going on about all the trauma, all the chaos, all the whether it's violence, whether it's manipulation, whether it's just constant. And you're always looking at them. You're never looking at you. It's always about what they did wrong, the chaos, the drama. And <clears throat> you're nearly afraid to tell you're you're probably you're probably your kind of friends or family that are kind of more functioning which is normal. Well, I'm here to tell you now is after been in recovery now I'm obviously sober two years but I'm working kind of in recovery the last kind of three years that it is not normal 
and that by you getting the help and stepping away from that madness and chaos though it is very hard and getting a better life and like not being afraid to be single for a few years like I've been a single now for a few years and it's the happiest I've ever been and in the past I never would have been happy or I never would have thought I would have been happy because all I thought from when I was a young child was that I wanted somebody to save me but at the end of the day the only one that was going to save me was me and the only one that is going to save you is you reach out and get support and they will help you but trust me what I've noticed from this journey it's only the people that aren't afraid of the pain they're not afraid of the pain of discomfort of actually making changes in their life and don't get me wrong obviously if you were to get like there's been a patch when I have come out of my fourth or fifth step that like if I've started to feel at all like that as if things are just getting too hard oh no right step off step away from recovery go start going out more with your friends, start doing more fun things. I say the exact same in my yoga practice. If there's any sharpness or pain, when I was a running coach, I said the exact same thing. If there's any sharpness or pain, that's a sign for you to step back. But you're not to be afraid of the pain because I am a true believer in it's pain to power, pain to power. So if you are, and obviously tomorrow, it's a Friday or tomorrow, it's women's aid day there's a lot of people doing a dip yeah for women's aid and I guess after a girl just dying there during the week and if this is you like do not be afraid I know you can ring um women's aid they have great helplines again you can join support groups like codependency you can actually reach out to women or don't be afraid to tell people a way like if you have a particular friend like which happened to me and you're always sharing with them the particular drama and they're telling you that that's okay and that's normal that's not the friend you'd really want to be reaching out to if you need help or support you'd want to be actually just completely just changing it up and don't be afraid to ring women's aid don't be afraid to reach reach out to counselors or people in this particular area because there is hope there is hope Like there is hope for your life to change. There is hope for your life to get better. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be fulfilled. And you don't have to live in a life when you're, where you're stressed and worried. You're not sure what's going to help of the weekend. You're afraid for your life. So please, please do reach out. And uh, yeah, I'm, 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 um, obviously I am sober and I am a believer that obviously for me, the sober life was the only way because if you are, if you have got these patterns in you, if you are obviously drinking or using any other type of mind-altering substances, it's going to stop you being your best self. And you're going to be more than likely, you could go back down these kind of roads. Now, obviously, if you're in codependency, you don't actually have to be sober. But if you're a sensitive person and you can be a bit of an overthinker and you do suffer with anxiety, I would highly recommend you to definitely give it a bash. It's a bit that. heavy today, Colin. Yeah, it's a heavy one, wasn't it? <laughs> Jesus. That, 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 <laughs> that, Not like our usual podcast. Yeah, yeah, usually it's a bit funny, a bit of schlegging. But uh, no, look, if, if it was a heavy one today. And if it if it did, today's podcast brought up anything for anyone, please reach out and, uh, you know, reach out for some support. And look, if you ever need any like support from me, just please send me a message uh, on Instagram, DM me and the same with Lisa, the wellbeing queen or myself, Colin Doolin. Now, I am recently starting to get a lot, loads and loads of messages. So if I don't um, get back to anybody at the moment, um, still do reach out, but I will, uh, will within the next month to take some time to obviously send over any information. But again, as I said, women, women's aid have a helpline that you can give a buzz to at any time as well. Um, I don't need help for that. 100%. Like, and for me, the number one biggest step I've ever made in my recovery or with my mental health was, was reaching out for help. You know, just reaching out. It could be a support line, it could be a friend, a family member, but just reaching out and asking someone for help, you know. And sometimes some, like people are talking about going back to the gym and doing weights, but sometimes the heaviest weight is just picking up the phone. And making a phone call, you know, it can be the heaviest way to pick up. And like I'm after buying column now, a journal that's sitting here for yeah. 2023. Get your ass down to Eason's. Best 10 euro you'll ever make. And every day, literally just start writing in it. What did I do well? What would I do differently? What am I grateful for today? Like unbelievable. And a, a, a top tip, I absolutely love Brian Penn. Brian Penny. 
He gave a great tip there. Uh, I'll actually re-share it on my Instagram this week. Write down your don't do's for 2022. So look back over the diary in your phone and actually write down the things that you wish you hadn't have done. It's an absolute game changer because you're getting you're actually able to look you know say if you went on a weekend away you came back and were like you know what I actually feel worse or you went on a night out or is there anything particular from 2022 that you can think of that you shouldn't have done Colin oh <laughs> I think one day I went for the dip and I stayed in for too long <laughs> yeah, a you know, no I'm not joking no like I think for me is I, I let that inner critic uh sometimes uh, run the show you know I listened to my head too much and overthought stuff and say if I wanted to post something you know or put out some content or like I oh, know that, that's cringy or no one's gonna like that and I talked myself out of it and little things like that or could be signing up for races or jiu-jitsu competitions and, and letting that inner critic like talk myself out and my low self-esteem my insecurity Whereas this year, I'm just going to, you know, not listen to that inner thought and put it, put it out there or, or sign up to the competition or go for the run or so do you're the more content. more regrets for not doing things that you wish you should have. Is that yeah. what you're trying to say? Yeah. If you were able to look You've back and say... You've only got one life. And like, if we spend our lives worrying about the opinions of others, we'll never truly live, you know? And I think that's the quickest way to make yourself unhappy is that way you're constantly obsessed with what other people think or trying to get other people's approval. And, you know, it's just live your own life. Yeah, like that was my, I done my step four again there last month and comparing. Mm. Like I compare myself to someone and then I wouldn't do it because I thought, well, they're miles ahead of me. So why would I do that? And we are, think of ourselves as an hourglass, like, because that is your life. And that sand is slipping away. Like you're, you're not really going to get any younger. Mm. We're never going to live this moment again. So, I mean, Let's just get out there and get back and yeah. living. And I guess that's why I'm saying that even today, but not meaning for people to reach out. But I actually said to loads of my friends this month that like, I suppose I'm putting the head into the career for this year. And I've just said to them, look, I'm actually not going to be doing any meetups until February. Yeah. Bar yeah. a Saturday morning meetup dip. So don't be afraid to put boundaries in. Mm. Like what is important to you? Like what are your goals and your values? Yeah. And any choices and decisions you make, you have to ask yourself, is that going to bring you closer or further away from them? I love that. All right, Lise, it was a powerful podcast and yeah, I got, got a lot out of it myself and yeah, it was a heavy one. It was a deep one. <laughs> it was an honest one. It was very vulnerable. So just again, if anyone... If this podcast brought up anything at all, please reach out for help. Either like be it like a support online or friends or family or even myself, Elisa, uh, just fire us a message and just know there's always help out there. So yeah, and w- with that, I want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, fulfilling and harmonious 2023 and... Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Lisa Doolan, for coming on for the chats and congratulations on two years sober. Two years sober. We're so proud Woo! of you. We're so going to go for a few points now to celebrate. Yeah, it's going to session. <laughs> alcohol, alcohol free. I heard a lot say, you know, drinking alcohol free beer is like watching porn on the radio. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, Lisa, thank you so keep much. It, Big love. Man. Keep smashing it. Keep shining. Thank you, everyone. Have a lovely, lovely day, a lovely year. And yeah, like we said, again, please, if you ever feel like you're alone, you're never alone, please reach out for help. There's always hope out there. And the abbreviation for hope is hold on pain ends. So keep shining it, keep being good to yourself, keep being kind to yourself. Big love and very happy new year.